All right. Hey, welcome again. Thanks for being here with us today. It is good to be together. Today we're going to start just a short series, a three-week series in uh, a passage found in, um, in the book of Micah. Uh, Did you write it? Yeah. So, you know, I've worked pretty hard on figuring out if he was named after me or I was named after him. And it's inconclusive at this point. Yeah. Inconclusive. I yeah. love it. Uh-huh. No, the prophet Micah, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about him in a minute, but a, a beautiful passage found in Micah 6, 8 today. Have you ever found yourself, though, in a, in a position just not knowing what was expected of you in any given moment? It happens in social gatherings. It happens uh, uh, in our workplaces. I remember um, I was just starting college. Maybe I was still in high school and doing a running start, but a friend's mom worked out at the area, and uh, she kind of ran one of the departments out there. And I told her I was looking for a different job, and she said, well, I can get you a job out there. And I remember showing up and going through all the security to get in there and, and showing up my first day and, and, and arriving at her office and, and being like, I have no clue what my job is going to be. Like, I, ha- I, I took the job, it's going to pay well, and I know one person here, but I have no clue what my responsibilities are going to be. And uh, it, it turned out to be everything from, like, clerical data entry stuff to organizing whole where- warehouses full of parts and, and resorting all, all that stuff and, and databasing all that. Uh, so it was really diverse in the end. But I'll bet you you've been in that position before, walking into a place, engaged in a conversation, and finding yourself asking a question, what is expected of me right here and right now? It can be an unsettling place to be. What's beautiful about the passage we'll be engaging in today is uh, it begins with this, God has told you what he desires of you. God has made clear to you his wishes for you. So at times in life, it can feel kind of confusing. Who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? What is expected of me right now? But the clarity and beauty in the passage we get to engage today uh, is just remarkable for us. So before we go to Micah, we want to look back at the backstory. So what Micah is it was written in a place and time. What's the backstory? How do we get to Micah 6, 8? And in the beginning, God created, and God created the whole world, and creation was good. God said it was good, and God created humanity, and God wanted a relationship with humanity. And so God... Uh, made a covenant, starting with a man named Abraham and then following um, his lineage with, with Israel. And it was this covenant was a mutual partnership between God and people. And the purpose of this partnership was to bless the whole world, to demonstrate what a close relationship with God could look like. And this mutual partnership, this covenant, was to dictate how both parties would engage. God would be faithful. God would be present. God would provide for Israel. And in turn, Israel was to be faithful to God and to walk with God and to live as God directed. And yet, over and over, like all all humanity, all of our stories, Israel turned away from God. And so, God would pursue Israel, trying to rescue Israel from the choices Israel was making. And it's in that story that we come to the prophets. And Micah was a prophet. And the purpose of the prophets were to call out um, when Israel departed from covenant, 
to call out when they missed the mark, to call out when they sinned, and to ask for repentance, to urge the people, come back to God. And they spoke of God's judgment and God's justice, saying that God's judgment and justice would come. And in that, there was great hope if they would but return to God. Micah speaks to his, uh, his purpose, his role in Israel in uh, Micah 3, verse 8. He says, But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgressions, Jacob being a name for Israel, and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. You get a glimpse in here of the nation that that, uh, Micah finds himself speaking to, a nation that has not only turned their back on God, uh, but perverted justice and built a nation upon bloodshed. All the evil that is being experienced and uh, demonstrated towards others in the nation of Israel, Micah comes to highlight the way Israel has breached its covenant with God. He comes warning them uh, earlier in the in the books, uh, here in, in this book, earlier in the chapters, I mean, uh, that, that Assyria is coming to overthrow the northern kingdom and, and to ravage Jerusalem and to further warn them that then Babylon will come through and do even more destruction. Micah is warning them of the consequences of their breach of covenant and the wickedness that exists. And yet these prophets, including Micah, also speak speak of hope. There is still hope. And so it's in the middle of his discourse that we find the iconic passage that many of us have probably heard, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I love how succinct that is. This is what God expects. This is what God desires. This is what God requires to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So we're going to take the first three weeks of 2024 and look at each of those things and talk a little bit more. What does the Lord require of Israel back then and now of us today? It's really a relevant question and one we often engage poorly, uh, both in the past and in the present. You know, you were talking about that job and not knowing what's expected of you. In, in our lives, with our families, with our friends, with our, our jobs, there is so much expectation put on us. And there's so many voices telling us, this is who you need to be. This is what you need to do. This is is what you should do. And it can be really hard to discern what is the voice of the culture or the voice of other people and what is the voice of God telling me. And so that is part of what we want to do in this series is just remind ourselves to listen to what God is asking of us. What does God require of us? What is good in the eyes of God? Justice, mercy, and humility. That's what Micah tells. What's good in the eyes of God? It's justice, mercy, and humility. What's interesting is Micah places with each of those a verb. He says, to do justice. 
is what is good in God's eyes. To love mercy is what is good in God's eyes. To walk humbly with God is what's good in God's eyes. You see, there's a verb with each of these. We're invited not only to know things about justice and mercy and humility, but instead uh, to go far beyond knowledge and to begin to live into justice, mercy, and humility. And so today we ask the question, what does it look like to act justly? What does justice conjure in your mind? When you think of the word justice... Is it Judge Judy? <laughs> yes, you got no, it. No, <laughs> Yes. What does justice conjure in your mind? Yeah, there's all sorts of wacky things that we could come up with uh, like that. Uh, many of us, when we think of justice, would think of um, long sentences and penitentiaries and, and things like that, right? We would think of a justice system that punishes people for wrongdoing, and that is an aspect of justice. There's no question about that. But the conversation of justice biblically goes much beyond that. So the Hebrew word for justice is mishpat. And there's two different types of justice that this refers to. First is retributive justice, which would be like punishing wrongdoing. And then the second is restorative justice. And here's the thing. When you look at the times, and justice is all over Scripture, when you look at when justice is mentioned, only one out of ten times is the justice referring to retributive justice justice, the punishing of wrongdoing. Nine out of 10 times, it's referring to restorative justice. And that is to restore right relationship. When something has been wronged, something has been broken, restorative justice, justice comes in and restores what has been messed up. That everyone in that relationship would be recognized as having been created with God-given dignity and equality and treated as such, treated fairly and with this God-given equality and value. And so restorative justice is all about seeing people who are marginalized or oppressed and advocating for them, changing the situation around them. So as a society, when we talk about justice, I think in often we're thinking of um, retributive justice. We're thinking of punishment. And yet biblically, um, the majority of the conversation is about restorative justice. In our language today, and as we're having conversation, often we call this different things. We'll say words like activism or charity or advocacy. Sometimes we'll use the phrase social justice, and that'll mean something different than when we use the phrase, the word justice by itself. But this idea of social justice is much more in line with with the idea of biblical restorative justice. Yeah, and, and to ensure we don't misunderstand, uh, this is such an important, important point. There's multiple kinds of justice spoken of in Scripture, but the primary conversation resta- revolves around this restorative justice. And yet many of us grew up hearing stories in Bible class or things like that that 
make God sound really angry and against the world or against people, like this God that you got to be afraid of, otherwise there will be punishment. Um, but that's not the narrative of the Old Testament. And so I want to draw us to a passage, Jeremiah 22, verse 3. Uh, and, and this is one of many passages we could go to, to understand the nature of God and the, tr- the kind of society, the kind of culture he desired to bring into this world, and the kind of kingdom Jesus is ushering into this world now. Jeremiah 22, verse 3, this is what the Lord says, do what is just and right, rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed, do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. This is a prophet of God, again, coming to the people and saying, this is what the society God has invited you to is to look like. It's one that is just and that is right that rescues people that are in need. It's a society in which foreigners or fatherless or widows are cared for by their own people. This is what justice and righteousness look like in God's economy. So as we continue to think about this idea of restorative justice and also ask the question, what does God expect of us? in terms of restorative justice. We want to look at the story of Paul, um, who, whose prior name was Saul before it turned into Paul. And um, we've, we find his story in Acts. And uh, Paul, Saul, was a wealthy, well-educated Pharisee. And he was on fire for God. And yet he was also extremely misguided extremely misguided. And so he was responsible for persecuting and killing many Christians. We're told that he was present at the stoning of Stephen. And he was very zealous for, for doing justice in the way that he thought justice should be done. So he, he was completely wrong and he did much harm, but his intention was to do justice. Yeah, the story begins in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that is what early Christians were being called, um, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. It's a fascinating story because Saul thinks he is carrying out justice, punishing blasphemous people. And here he is, zealous for that cause, and he has a radical encounter with Jesus. And he has a moment in here as he's on his knees, blind in the middle of the road, in which he must have realized, I have been wrong about this all along right? I am on the wrong side of this situation. I can relate to that feeling. I've been in that place. <laughs> you find yourself in, in, in a situation where, where you realize what I was so passionate about was entirely misguided. 
guided. Jesus encounters him, confronts him in that place. And what's interesting is, as the story develops, we see the kind of justice God wants to bring about. What's fascinating about the story of a man named Saul is having executed Christians, having been murderous and against what God was doing in the world, he very rightfully deserved to die in and of himself, right on that road. God could have struck him down, and that would have been, I think, just in many of our minds, right? That, that, that's what justice would have called for in that moment, and yet God has a very different sort of justice that he will enact in the story. He opens his eyes and he can no longer see and he hears the voice of God who says, go and you will be told what you must do. So you have this very powerful man who all of a sudden is, all his power has just been taken away from him. And for three days, he sat somewhere in Damascus in the dark, literally in the dark, but wondering and reflecting um, what is what is going on? And I and I I can trying to imagine what it would be like for him to have been so on fire, and then for God to just stop him, like a full stop, like you can't do anything now. Now you need to wait and see what I tell you what to do. Uh, God could have punished Paul there, and instead, God is about to pivot him and use him powerfully for the rest of his life in a very, very different direction. And that's the example of restorative justice that we see. And so Paul is led, Saul is led to a city, and God appears to a man named Ananias, a God-fearing man there, and tells him to go to Paul in Paul's time of need. Uh, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. As you read that, I can hear the panic in Ananias' voice. <laughs> yeah, you can understand his hesitation. He knows Saul. He knows what Saul has been doing and that he's been effectively carrying out uh, what's a is building towards the genocide of, of the people of the way, the followers of Jesus. That is the purpose that Saul has in mind. And so Ananias rightfully says, I don't think this is a good idea, God. And yet God has so much more in store than Ananias is realizing in this moment. God's wanting restorative justice here. He's, he's getting Paul's attention and saying, you've completely missed the mark. You're completely off track. But instead of giving him a a punishment, God says, I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to give you a whole new purpose. And this purpose is going to glorify me. And all these God-given gifts that you've been using to, to persecute Christians, your, your drivenness, your stubbornness, your persistence, your persuasive nature, all these things that you're really good at, that are, are God's given you, Jesus is going to use for something else, for his purposes, for, for the advancement of the kingdom of God. So we find ourselves in Micah 6 verse 8 today, um, and a call 
to do justice, to act justly. And we look at the story of Saul because it's an example of what justice looks like in God's eyes, right? Uh, We strive to be like the God who doles out justice, not entirely in a punitive way, but also in restorative ways, in ways that invite people who have been against his cause to then be adopted into his very work in this world. Uh, Finally today, we want to go to one more passage as we consider what justice might look like in our lives, what it looks like to live into justice. It's a teaching of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43, a teaching in which Jesus describes uh, an aspect of justice as it might relate to our lives. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? But be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. I want to acknowledge that this is a really hard teaching from Jesus, right? And and some of us have experienced incredible hurt and wounds that are not yet healed. And and uh, sometimes it's going to take a lot more time before healing uh, and, and reconciliation take place in our lives. So I want to acknowledge this is a really hard teaching. Uh, I also want to allow the words of Jesus to stretch us a little bit. Jesus challenges in the face of harm, in the face of an enemy, uh, rather than retaliating and doling out the kind of justice that might often come to our minds, consider the words of Jesus, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's challenging. That is incredibly challenging, and I won't cheapen it by saying, so now just go do it, because we have deep hurts and deep wounds in our lives. But let the words of Jesus challenge you today. We see these stories of God in the Old Testament, the stories of God and his, his work in the life of Saul, in which he takes a man who is the enemy of his cause in this world, and, and rather than retaliating, says, come, I've got so much more in store than you for you than you could even imagine. And in the words of Jesus challenges us that loving and praying for an enemy or someone that has persecuted us is an act of restorative justice. And God is love, and loving your enemy is an act of restorative justice. And as Jesus followers, God is with us, and God is empowering us with his love that we too might love others and demonstrate this type of love. I love the last line, and I hate the last line that we read. <laughs> Are you, am I allowed to say that, that I hate, I hate a, a Bible verse? It's, how about I, I change that language? It's really hard for me. Verse uh, 48 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And perfection is a pretty high expectation, but the idea of of being perfect, of being holy, being completely, complete and completely God's, that is possible with God. And God is the one who does that work in us.
that I don't have to become perfect myself, but rather in following God, God will make me perfect eventually. It hasn't happened yet. I'll let you know, but it hasn't happened yet. Um, eventually. And part of that is this idea of living as people of justice, of restorative justice, people who will love their enemies, people who will walk alongside and pray for those who have been hurting them. And so we get to, we're invited to imitate God's justice in our life. And so as we engage with our families, with our friends, with our workplaces, as we engage on on a larger scale, when we think of our our societies, our communities, our, our nation, and our world, we get to ask the question, what does it look like to engage with God's restorative justice in this situation? He's shown you what is good. Do justice. And justice in God's term revolves around restoration. Where is hurting around you? Are there people in your lives in desperate need of a gentle touch, a prayer, a hand up? That's really what I think Micah 6-8 and Jesus' teachings, the story of how God engages people like Saul, a passage like Jeremiah 22 invites us to consider. Where is brokenness? What needs restored? What needs healing around me? And what would it look like in my life to partner with God in bringing around about justice? And not the kind of justice that comes so naturally to us, but the kind of justice that restores a person, invites them back into a right place in relationship with us, in relationship with God, in relationship with their society. What does restorative justice look like in our lives and communities? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you that you're a God who restores, that you're a God of justice, and that your justice is one that heals and loves and brings wholeness. Lord, may we engage our families and our friends and strangers and our workplaces and and in our communities, Lord, may we engage justly. Will you teach us what that looks like in our lives? Will you allow us to more fully experience your love um, for ourselves that we might demonstrate that love in the ways in which we engage others? God, we thank you. That you empower when you call. That this is not something we have to do on our own, but rather that your Holy Spirit guides and your Holy Spirit empowers us. And so, Lord, we thank you. And we pray for more of your love and more of your justice in our lives and community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, friends, thanks for joining us today. We can't wait to continue in this series in weeks to come. I'll remind you that after service today, uh, there uh, is Vine 101. So if you're newer to this gathering and want to get to know it a little bit better, we would love to have a conversation with you in the sunroom. Also, there's coffee and cookies in the lobby. So please stick around and have a conversation. Have a blessed week, and we can't wait to see you again.